0: Happy Memorial Day, man, what a great weather, what a great weekend. Hello, come on somebody. Hey, listen, I've got a little bit of a cold and I'm highly medicated, so you're in for a treat. You ready? (laughs) Not really, not really, I'm always highly medicated. But um, hey, we're in this series today, if you're new, I'll explain all that in a minute. Uh, We're in this series today, this collection of talks that we're calling Jesus People. Let's all say Jesus People together, Jesus people, you know, and we've just been looking at this idea of the culture of a church and the culture of someone who is a Jesus people and how they act and how they respond, what they think, um, what gets encouraged, what gets discouraged, you know, in us individually, but also our culture as a church. So if you're new to faith or just exploring faith, just trying to figure out what you even think about Jesus, maybe you learned some things about him when you were a kid or when you were younger, or maybe through um, just different avenues, what we want to do is be able to just paint this picture of what a Jesus people, what it would look like for you to begin to follow him. But also for all of us who are kind of in the movement, man, what does it look like for us to make a difference? And what does it look like for us to live as sent people? You know, and so we started off talking about, number one, Jesus is our message. Like, that's the first value. Jesus is our message. He's first, he's last, he's best, he's most, and he's must. Amen, somebody? Right? And then the next week we talked a little bit about the now generation. And the fact that we believe that the now generation is not the next generation, but they're leaders of today. That the average age of the pastor in the United States has moved from 44 to 54 in a matter of 30 years. And so that pastors are aging out and there's not a pipeline of young leaders. And we firmly believe in the young leaders that we have in our church. And we're resourcing them, doing everything we can to set them up to pass the torch, to carry the flame of the gospel into the future. You know, we talked about this idea that we bleed boldness, that there's times we just need to step in and speak up for God. We need to step in and speak up and speak the words of Jesus. And then last week, Sean Curry did a great job of talking about equipping over entertaining. Now, the word church, it wants to be about equipping people to live out their faith, not entertaining people, Um, even though there's going to be some entertainment. You know, I'm a little funny sometimes, as you saw off the top, um, even when I'm not trying to be. Uh, But we believe that, like, even today, it's going to be this idea of you walking away with some tools in your tool belt to be able to live out the faith that God has given you and the place that he's put you. And so today we want to talk about adventure is our attitude. Adventure is our attitude. Listen, there, there, are, there are no bench players when it comes to faith. It, following Jesus is a full contact sport. There, there's no such thing as, hey, just, just, let's just show up and be punctual for church attendance. Everything has got to be motivated towards Monday and how we're going to make a difference. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. Let me ask you a question. Like, when you hear the word adventure, like, what comes to mind? When you hear the word adventure, what comes to mind? Do you think of somebody jumping off the Empire State Building in a squirrel suit? You know that? Just kind of flying down to the the ground. Or maybe you think of someone climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or someone going really, really fast. Or maybe for you, adventure is staying at a Holiday Inn Express instead of a JW Marriott. You know, we we all have built in us, even though we may not be adrenaline junkies, we have, have built in us this idea, this desire for adventure. Let me just prove it to you. Number one, how many of you guys are going to take a vacation this summer? You're going to go somewhere new, somewhere fresh? How many beach people are, are here? How many mountain people? You're going to die and go to hell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's that humor thing, right? That's what I was talking about earlier. Right? We, we all want to experience something new. We want to go somewhere different. We, we want to maybe, maybe take some adventures. We want to experience this idea of not being bored sitting at home, but going out on expeditions and learning something fresh. We all have that built in us. It like, it, that explains to me the rise of all the survival TV shows. Any Survivor fans? Come on. like It's been on for like 100 years. Like, How many episodes has it been? It just was over last week. What about this one, Naked and Afraid? Anybody watch that one? Nobody? I didn't think so. Don't worry. You can't see anything. It's all blurred out, right? Um, you know, so we have you know survival shows that we watch just to give us this taste of adventure because it's hardwired into us. You know, as we read the Bible, we were created in the wilderness. If you look at Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were created by God and it said, "Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it." In other words, go out, enjoy everything I've created. God said, "Name the animals and the plants, explore, learn new things, adventure together." And as we look at the story unfold of God's redemptive act in the Bible, I mean, where would we be if Abraham, who was called to go to another country that he didn't know about when God came to him and says, you go and you leave because you're going to be a blessing to the nation? What if Abraham had said, ah, you know what, God, my benefits package right here is really good. i must stay. Yeah. What about Moses? You know, when Moses, when his mom taught him not to play with matches, and he saw the burning bush, and what if he would have gone the other way and not stopped to listen to God in the burning bush? And what about Noah? Build a boat. You know what, God, I think I'd rather buy flood insurance. You see, we have this, this DNA. We have this DNA of adventure in us. And what it looks like is for us to live as sent people. Let's all say the word sent together. Sent. We're going to live as sent people. Now, But some of us would rather play it safe, wouldn't we, if we're just honest? And there's a lot of days I'd rather play it safe. But if we don't live as sent people, we will never experience the joy that God has waiting for us. So let me just start out with this question. Would you describe yourself as safe or sent? Would you describe yourself as safe or would you describe yourself as sent today? Hopefully by the end of our time together, you'll understand what it means to live a sent life. And that's what you'll do. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 in the Bible, If you're new here, um, we always open the Bible just to look at it and what it has to say about Jesus and what it has to say about our life and what it tells us about who God is. So we'd love for you to grab it. You can look at it on your phone, as Andy was doing up a little earlier as he read. But um, Luke chapter 10, as we get into this story, it's written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a close follower of Jesus. He was an eyewitness um, to the life of Jesus. Luke was actually a doctor, too. So he has some unique perspective. And so Jesus has just kind of seen his disciples kind of been weeded out. Um, he's taught them some very hard things, so some of them have fallen away from him. So now he's talking to the ones who have stayed, the ones who are in, the ones who want to be part of the mission, the ones who believe in him, people like, people like a lot of us. And this is what happens. And so what I want to do today is a little different. I'm going to kind of walk through the story so we get the overall gist and flavor of what it looks like. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to point out four requirements, four pieces of gear that you need on this adventure that God has you in So Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two in every town and place where he himself was to go. So God has taken 72 disciples and he sent them kind of on an advanced mission to go ahead of where he's going. He wants them to prepare the way for him to show up and for him to be able to tell people who he is. Let me ask you this question. Like like when God gets to where he sent you, will you be there? Like when God gets to wherever he sent you, your neighborhood, your dinner table, your friends, your uh, bleachers with other parents. Like when he gets there, will you, will you have been there and done what he asked you to do? It says, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and do his harvest. See, Jesus' people, and they prepare with prayer. Go your way, it says. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the middle of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the word, on the road. Jesus' people, they, they travel light. Whatever house you enter, first say this, peace be to this house. <clears throat> and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. In other words, as you meet people that like you, that welcome you, that are interested in you, that want to serve you, stay there. Those are the people that you're sent to. And people who don't do that, watch what happens. He says, you heal the sick in it and you say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Right? Sent people, they say something. Sent people, they say something. If we jump down into verse 17, it says the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then in verse 20, it says, it says, listen, don't rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Man, there's always joy in the adventure, isn't there? Whether you win or lose, no matter what happens, there's joy in the adventure. So as we start out, the first thing that we see in this passage is he sends them out two by two. It's like, Jesus' people are sent people with something to say. Jesus' people, they are sent people. Jesus' people are sent people with something to say. So, so Jesus has sent them, in other words, they've gone away. Like he sent them out of their comfort zone. He sent them out from where they lived. And the truth is, wherever we are, that's where God has sent us. In our neighborhoods, in our, where we work with our families. Man, God has ordained the boundaries of our life that, that we're to be sent wherever we are. We're to live as sent people and that we have something to say because they've been given a message about the kingdom, but they also were given people to where they were going to. And I think for some of us who follow Jesus, you know, we, we know that we should tell other people about our faith, but what would happens is in our mind, we had this mental image of someone on the street corner with a bullhorn yelling, turn or burn, that kind of message. You've seen that at a ball game or something. But what happens is God has put people in your path. He's already orchestrated them, and they're called people of peace. This is going to unlock some evangelism for a lot of people in the room this morning. People of peace are people who actually like you. Have you ever been around someone like, I just like being around them. They're just easy to be around. They're just easy to talk to. I like what they're about. I I know they're an Auburn fan, but I still like them. We call it chemistry, but what God has done is is there's a spiritual principle in place that God has prepared someone's heart that they will listen to you. You you don't have to look for people who completely disagree with you. Now, there's times to speak up, but if we would just look for the low-hanging fruit of people who like us, people who want to hang around us, and people who are interested in us, and that we would look to say something to those people. How many times have you walked across someone and you're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. This just made my day better. Like you, maybe it's church, or maybe it's Walmart, or maybe it's a ball game, and you just see someone. You're like, ah, I didn't know you were going to be here. Maybe that's maybe that's a God ordained moment for you. Maybe that's a God ordained moment, and I've had that happen to me multiple times throughout my life. Just I'll meet someone, but there's one time that I completely dropped the ball and I fumbled, and I just want to tell you about that story. You know, there was a time on a Sunday I got done preaching. And I flew, I got, you know, went down to the airport, got on a plane to Dallas for a, a, a leadership coaching event I was going to be a part of. And if, if you've flown to Dallas, you know, those things are packed. And so you struggle on the plane, and I think everybody gets a middle seat on the flight to Dallas. And so I fly to Dallas, and I roll into my air, I roll into my, it was a courtyard Marriott in Plano, Texas, up in North Dallas. I got there at 10 p.m. Now, if any of you know me, you know, that's way past my bedtime. And I had some work to do to prepare for a very early morning meeting. So as I walk into the lobby to check in, lo and behold, there's someone there from our church. Wow, look at you here. This is amazing. Did you come to pay for my room? Uh, and so we began to talk, and you know they went on, he was with a friend. They went up to their room, and I check in. And I'm getting on the elevator, and he gets off the elevator. And he's like, hey, do you want to go to dinner? And I missed it. I said, you know what, I got a lot to do. Gotta get up early in the morning. I'm a pass, and I still look back on that moment. It still haunts me. And then, I, and I vowed to myself I would never miss another moment like that in my life. Have you ever had a moment that you look back on and you missed it? It was so obvious that God had orchestrated that moment for you. That God had put someone in your path to help, or to speak to, or to tell about the gospel. Man, sent people. We're sent people and we're sent with a message. And the message that we see Jesus tell them in this in this passage is the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. What what does that even mean? That's some that's some Bible terms. Like dude, what do we what does that even mean? I'm here to help. So, kingdom literally when you have a kingdom there's a king who what? He gets what he wants. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom where God gets What he wants. That things operate the way God wants to. So if you think about the Lord's Prayer, maybe some of you guys remember that. And in some of the Lord's Prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we see the kingdom of God happen, what we see is Jesus breaks in and he begins this kingdom of God. He begins to heal people because sick people are not part of God's plan. He begins to calm storms because storms that are destructive are not part of God's plan. And this is what Jesus does. And so when we say the kingdom of heaven is here or the kingdom of God is here, what that means is people who follow Jesus, that we began to put God's kingdom back together the way it was before it was broken, to the best of our ability. Now, we know it's going to be a little short of that until we get to heaven, until he comes back and he does it all himself. But right now, God is using his people. He is using Jesus' people to be sent people To put the kingdom back together. And we do this by telling people, by saying something, by delivering a message. Hey, God is good. Man, there's a God and he is good. And God came and gave us so much. There's a problem and it's sin. The problem is that we decided to do things on our own because we wanted to be in control. And there's a solution. His name is Jesus. He's all that we have, church. And he is so much more than we need. So we have a message and Jesus' people say something about that. Like when was the last time you said something to someone about Jesus? Like when's the last time? As a Jesus people, when's the last time you said something to someone about Jesus? Even in your family, maybe it was a friend or a neighbor, but certainly a person of peace, someone that God had ordained for you. Jesus people. Man, we're sent people with something to say. Jesus people, Man, we go with other people, too. Man, we we adventure with other people. Jesus' people adventure with other sent people. You'll notice in in chapter 10, verse 1, it says that he sent 72, but he sent them ahead two by two. He sent them ahead two by two. Because we have to go alone. We need other people. There's a saying that we say around here. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We know that. We know that we're just better people when we go together. Jesus' people are sent people with other sent people. That's what we do. You know, there's a book um, talking about being a force multiplier in your life. It's called Compound Effect. And then it says 95% of your life, success, failure, everything, has to do with the people that are around you. 95%. Now, give or take a, a percentage point, that's still a pretty high number. And so much of who we are has to do with other people. You know, have you ever noticed how um, you, you're braver when you're with other people? You're more bold with other people? I had to think that Jesus knew He's going to send these people out and that they are going to be like, huh, I don't know what to say right here. Ooh, I think I'll go back home. I think our mission's over. I think I'm, I'm a little discouraged right now. He knew that his disciples were going to need friends, that they were going to need other people. And the truth is we have so many gaps that we aren't. There's a grace that someone else has that we need in our life. There's a strength that someone else has that we need in our life. Like, how many people who were married in the room, you married someone who is opposite of you? You know, you extroverts married an introvert and they taught you how to really like people. <laughs> Introverts married an extrovert and they told you how to get outside every now and then. And there's so many gaps that get filled. When we get married by people who are, by our spouses who are different than us, they're opposite of us. And we need those people in our life to call us out, to call us up, and to invest in us so that we can kind of lean into our weaknesses. Listen, adventures aren't they always better when you face some adversity? When you, when, you, when you go and do something you feel a little incompetent to do and maybe a little insecure to do, they're, they're always better when you overcome some weakness that you have. And even in the Bible, that's what it says. It says, Jesus' strength is made, is made powerful where in my weakness? This is where it happens. This is why adventures are so important together, to be sent together. We need other people in our lives to invite us up. You know, there was several years ago, I went on a, a, a camping trip, a hiking trip to the Machu Picchu in Peru and, with a group of guys. And so we went and I took my, one of my sons was 13 at the time. And so we went and did all that and then came back. And then uh, the next year, the same group, the same friend called me and says, hey, do you want to hike Half Dome at Yosemite? I'm like, yeah, I can hike anything. Like I'm young, I'm in shape. Hiking, no big deal, right? About two weeks before, I looked up what Half Dome was. Uh, and if any of you know what Half Dome is, it was, it, it, it's, it's an episode, an exercise in fear. That's all it is. I have a quick picture of what the Half Dome actually looks like. Um, notice these are not ants. These are people going up the side of a granite rock. And you'll notice at some points how, how it looks a little straight up. It looks even more straight up when you're on it like that. Um, and you'll notice there's some little poles you're hanging on to. They aren't even secured in the mountain itself. And so you're hiking along this very narrow trail with other people who are coming down. And um, unbeknownst to me, that uh, there's some bad things that happened on that mountain. And for instance, uh, there was a guy a couple, of, a couple of steps ahead of me that his water ball fell off, and it just bounced down the mountain and straight into the depths of Sheol. Like it was gone. <laughs> I'm like, that could be me. And so when you get there, I, I, I took a friend of mine from here, and we went. And we, we, we trembling climbed this thing called Half Dome. And when we got, we had to hike eight miles in and you get to Half Dome and then you kind of hike up to the top after you sign 42 release waivers or something like that. And so we hiked to the top and, and, and then hiked our way back down. But I never would have done that without someone, man, to, to help me, to push me, to build into me, to encourage me. And now I can look back on that just as a great adventure, a great experience that I got to have just because there was someone else in my life. You know, that's, enough, that's one reason we have adventure camps is that we have high school counselors who can counsel kids so they can understand what it means to take adventure. So we, we go on mission trips. It's the reason we do city service. We want to do these things together as a church. And who around you is doing what you want to do? Like who around you is becoming who you want to be? If you look around you, are people around you doing the things you want to do? Are they engaged in the job you want to have? The hobbies you want to have? Becoming the kind of person you want to be? Like Who around you? What person around you is doing the things that you want to do? And if they're not, you need to find some friends that are doing the things you want to do. Some people that dream the kind of dreams that you're trying to dream. Some people who have the kind of families that you want to have. Some people who have the kind of marriages that you want to have. They're the kind of moms and dads that you want to be. That's the kind of people you need to be around. Like Jesus' people, man, we, we are sent with other sent people. You know, Jesus' people, we always prepare with prayer. You'll notice in verse 2 it says, uh, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so what we see in this verse is Jesus goes to this agricultural metaphor, just to teach people around him because they would have understood this. And he, so he goes to a farming metaphor. And what he's saying is the harvest is plentiful. And he's talking about people. Jesus is saying there are people out there who need this message. There are people out there who will listen to this message. There are people out there who are receptive to this message. Don't listen to what the news media says. Man, there's people out there who desperately want an answer, who desperately want someone to hold on to, who desperately want something that's not shaking and a foundation that will not waver away. People are looking for that, Jesus is saying. But there's not enough people to go tell them. And he says, pray that people would go and you'd be one of those people. Pray that other people would join you in the journey. And so many times what we think, and I'm guilty of this, is we think that prayer can be, it's just kind of this trite cliche we throw at people. It's something that we do because we're supposed to. But, man, as we look at the Bible, and if I just examine my own life, man, the times when movement happened, the times that were the most fulfilling is when we had these, these moments of prayer. Like there's a guy, these two guys named Paul and Silas in, the, in this story. They, they've gone out and they've told people about Jesus, and they, they end up in jail for telling people about Jesus. So they're in the dungeon of the jail, and they're not looking for better lawyers Right? They're not looking for a better legal strategy. They start praying and worshiping. And what happens? God releases them from prison in a miraculous way. Like That's how this happens. One of my favorite stories in the Bible about prayers is by this guy named Jacob. Jacob was known as a deceiver. Like, and, and in case you're wondering, that's not, a, that's not a character quality you want your kids to have. <laughs> Jacob was a deceiver. And so Jacob finds himself estranged, estranged from his brother Esau. And so Jacob realizes I've got to go back and make things right with Esau. But, but Esau is a bad dude. He's bad, bad Leroy Brown. Like He will kill you. And so Jacob knows, this may be the end of my life. And so Jacob begins to march and journey and adventure towards Esau. And he takes his whole empire. Man, there's kids and there's people that work for him and people that are slaves and there's animals and there's everything. And he has this big, big parade going to see Esau, and he's afraid that his children and family may get killed, so he goes out ahead about a day's journey. And while Jacob's out in the wilderness by himself, he gets in this wrestling match with a stranger. And all Jacob can do in the middle of the night is just hang on for dear life. And Jacob realizes in the midst of that, that that's God. And because Jacob hung on, and because Jacob fought the best he could, God gave him a name. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel which we've all heard of. And I think that's the greatest example of prayer. It's wrestling with God at times. It's my confusion and my doubts, my cares and my concerns. And this is how we pray. You know, another thing we see in this passage about prayer is that prayer may be the greatest evangelistic tool that we have. It says that they go in and they heal people. And they do that, how? By praying to God. Like I think one of the greatest tools you and I have is prayer. You know, it's just when someone may tell you a need, you can just say, hey, can, can I pray for you right now? Do you know how many times people have turned me down when I ask if I could pray for them? Zero. I mean, they know I'm a pastor, but <laughs> zero. Now, now, could it happen? Of course it could happen. Of course it could happen. But I'd rather go down swinging. And you can pray for people. You can ask people, hey, how can I pray for you? And that opens the door. And it lets people know who you're trusting, who you're counting on, lets people, people know that you wanna help them. Like, like, just ask somebody how, how, you could, how you could pray for them, how you could pray for them. Man, the, the, the fourth thing we see in this is in verse four Jesus' people, they travel light. Huh. Jesus' people, they travel light. In verse four, it says, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Jesus' people, man, we travel light. You know, if you ever been on a trip and experienced travelers? They're recognizable, aren't they? Because they're not carrying much, right? They just got to carry on. I have a funny story on this. Like, we, uh, several years ago, we got to go on kind of dream vacation that we had always dreamed of. and So we go two weeks, and we're in Italy for a little while, and then we go to London, and then we come back home. And so Debbie and I both, we had a carry-on suitcase. That's all we had for two weeks. We had a carry-on suitcase. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome carry-on suitcase. We get on a train one day, and we get on a train one day, and there's this young guy. and He's wrestling in. You know the big suitcases that are about this big, full size? They were bigger than that. They were like that big. Two of them, he's wrestling them on. His wife gets on, and you can hear in the discussion that they just gotten married, and they're on their honeymoon. So I'm like, you are not an experienced tribal or an experienced husband, dude. Because he's telling his wife about how bad it is to have to carry all those suitcases around. A whole other story for some marriage counseling. So we put our suitcases in. He struggles with that. You know, they got him laying in the aisle. People are having to step over him. About 20 minutes into the ride, guess what? He was on the wrong train. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you are a rookie. And so experienced travelers they, they know how to travel but they know the things they need and the things they don't need and how much extra baggage do we carry through life you know some of it's just stuff and we just live in an area it's hard not to accumulate stuff you know we get a new phone we fill it up fill it up with information contacts apps videos we fill it up with stuff get a new computer stuff bigger house, fill it up with what? Stuff and then that's not big enough so we get a storage unit and we just get accumulated with stuff and we spend so much time taking care of our stuff we can't take an adventure. Just carrying our stuff. You know for some people today there's some things you're you're carrying around like bitterness. It's not gonna get you anywhere. Unforgiveness. You know And we reach this place in life where we get real jobs and maybe a family and we, we feel like responsible and I'm not saying anybody should be irresponsible, but if we're honest, if we just examine our heart, sometimes responsible is just a code word for control. Any control freaks in the house? Man, we like control. I want to control my environment. I want to control other people. That's why there's unforgiveness man i want to control my finances i want to control my life hey and if you try to live a life of control it will crucify your calling it will suffocate your future and you'll always be worshiping at the altar of boredom not being sent and we got to learn what it means to travel light to get rid of some stuff you know control will keep you from taking a risk and trying to reconcile that relationship Control will leave you filled with regret about all the things that you didn't do that you wished you would have done. Man, control will help you rationalize inactivity yeah. because just being responsible. Man, man, what areas of your life are you trying to control? It's keeping you from being a sent person, keeping you from taking new ground, keeping you from living with purpose. Man, Jesus people, we travel light. We give away everything we possibly can. And we give away the wrongs that other people have done to us. We give away our money when we need to and we even when we don't need to. And we give away some of the stuff that we have that, that we feel like we got to have because it's ours. Man, we need to travel light because we all know where we all know we can send it on ahead if we will. Let's be generous people. Travel light. And notice the outcome of this adventure. In verse 17, it says, The 72 returned with what? Joy. Sent people live with joy. Sent people live with joy. This is the serious business of heaven, is what C.S. Lewis said. You know, I think over time, what happens is we can get sold a bill of goods that church is kind of boring, mundane, it's irrelevant. It doesn't have anything to do. It's just a lot of rules that I have to follow. Man, it's just this morality code. But it's full of joy, overflowing joy. Have you ever met anybody who was full of joy? Like, don't you want to be that kind of person? Every situation that happened to them, man, they were able to meet it with a healthy optimism and perspective about what they were going through. Whenever you needed something, they were always there to provide it, even when you didn't ask. Man, you, you always feel better in their presence. Man, you always want to be around them. And that's the kind of people that Jesus' people are. And we need to be filled with it, joy. But notice this. It even gets better. They're not filled with joy just because of what they've done, because of their work, because they won or were successful. Jesus says this in verse 20. He says, don't rejoice just in this, that you saw it work, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That your names are written in heaven. Listen, sent people live with joy. They live with joy because of what's waiting for us. Man, save people, and we live with sadness and desperation because we live like this is all there is. But what Jesus is saying is that there's coming a day when our names are written in heaven that he is enough, that Jesus is the prize, that Jesus is the win, that Jesus is the goal, that Jesus is who we get, that Jesus is where life comes together, that Jesus is the one who lasts, that Jesus is the one who won't forsake us. Like, this is the prize, and this is why we're sent people because not enough people know. And, and as long as there's one more, we got a mission, Stone Creek. We're sent people, man, we are sent people, so that other people can experience the joy of having their name written in heaven. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for just sending your son, for being the very first sent person that we would enjoy what it means to walk with you, to have a relationship with you. God, that you don't work in formulas or principles, that you work in relationship, God. I'm just grateful for that. And Lord, even in this room today um, on a Memorial Day weekend, as we are just uh, outside and doing different things, God, that just our center and our focus right now could be right on you. God, that we would just see you for the worth that you have that we could see you for the friend that you are, that we could see you for the peace that you bring, for the joy that you restore, God. And just with, in this brief moment of prayer, I just want to pray for some specific people in the room. And so just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, for you, you may need to make that decision to get in the adventure today. You've heard enough. It's time for some action. It's time to get moving. You want to be able to rejoice that your name is written in heaven, I just want to help you do that. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's something that we do every week and we see people come to follow Jesus every single week. So I'm, if, you want to, if you want to begin to follow Jesus for the very first time, I'm just going to ask you, just, just repeat after me. Dear God, I trust that you are good. I believe that you sent Jesus to forgive me of my sin and I will follow him and I will live a sent life. You know, the Bible says that when you ask for forgiveness like that and you trust in Jesus, that immediately you're a new person. Old things are gone. New has come. And that new is that you are now living not as a safe person but as a sent person. You know, if that was you today, I would just want to help us mark this moment on this Memorial Day in 2022. What a great day to be able to mark the sacrifice that God made for you by surrendering your life to him. And the way that we do that here, just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, God, guys, is that is that if you prayed that, I'm just going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand in the air on the count of three. And just let's just make eye contact briefly, just to mark that moment on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. Thank you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks. Awesome. God, grateful for this This reality that we can rejoice that our names are written in heaven God that we get to worship you God that we have a focus for our life God that we have purpose and we have meaning that we have a future and a hope that comes in the name and the person of Jesus Lord I'm grateful for that God as a church that we'd always be looking to what's next what's next in our personal lives areas where we need to grow spiritually we need to take next steps character flaws that need to be need to be sanded off God uh, attitudes that need to be adjusted, perspectives that need to be recalibrated. God, you'd always be helping us to grow and to look more like Jesus. And God, collectively, that we'd be a sent people. Man, we'd be sent with others. We'd prepare with prayer, God. Lord, we'd travel light and not try to carry too much baggage through this life, knowing eventually, God, we get you. And that's more than enough. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.